please stand as we read the Word of God together. We're reading this morning, John chapter 3, a very well-known, but probably not a very well-understood passage in Scripture. Uh, John chapter 3, uh, 1 to 21. There was a man of the Jews named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things, these signs that you do, unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you do not, and you hear its sound, you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you earthly things that you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who is descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. For whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be seen clearly that his deeds have been carried out in God. This is the word of our Lord. You may be seated. Jesus was just setting out in his journey when a man ran up to him and fell on his knees. Good teacher, he asked. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Even though he ran to Jesus, even though he knelt before Jesus, even though he called Jesus good, even though he appeared to want eternal life, Jesus knew his heart. Jesus saw through the man's approach, his posture, his greeting, and his question, and he saw the problem. The man was self-righteous. He thought his so-called goodness could earn him salvation. So Jesus asked him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. We all like to think that we're pretty good, don't we? We all like to, to think that at least we're not as bad as others around us. But only God is good. He himself is the standard of goodness. In fact, he is goodness itself. God's love is 
really the pinnacle of his goodness. But that young man wasn't good. He thought he was good. He thought that he had kept all of the commandments. And even in this situation, the good God loved this self-righteous young ruler. It says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But he also exposed his heart, telling him to sell all that he had and follow him. It was the loving thing to do. Jesus lovingly showed the young man that he hadn't even kept the first commandment. His money was his idol, his functional God. He would not receive the free gift of salvation because in the hardness of his heart, he was grasping hold of his riches. He treasured his treasure more than Jesus Christ, the supreme treasure. Jesus loved him, even though the young man rejected him. God is love. We see that throughout the scriptures. In 1 John 4.18 says it explicitly. God is love. And then he repeats it again in verse 16. God is love. Well, God is love. But does God love everybody? There's verses like John 3.16 that, that, that seem to say so. Something, something that it would not be fair if God did not love everybody equally. As always, we need to look to God's Word and not our own preconceived notions of what God is like. So what does God's Word say? We need to look at the biblical evidence, examining passages in the proper context to determine the answer. God's Word clearly testifies that, that God is loving. You can see the love of God on every page of Scripture. But God does not love everybody in the same way. This morning we're going to be looking at three expressions of God's love. God's love for himself, God's love for the elect, and God's love for the world. First of all, God's love for himself. When we speak of God's love for himself, we're speaking primarily of intra-Trinitarian love. The love that is, is present in the relationships of each of the three members of the Trinity. And of course, the, the doctrine of the Trinity declares, as Michael Hill explains, that God is not three gods, nor is he one God playing out three different roles, proclaims that each person of the Godhead is a genuine person, and that each person relates to the others. The God who creates is also a God who is personal and relational. And each member of the Trinity relates to the other two members of the Trinity in perfect, holy love. God the Father loves God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Son loves God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit loves God the Father and God the Son. And this love is eternal. It existed in eternity past and it will exist for all eternity. D.A. Carson explains in his book, The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God, he said this cannot be said of Allah. There is always an other orientation to the love of God. All the manifestations of the love of God emerge out of his deeper, more fundamental reality. Love is bound up in the very nature of God. God is love. And it is only the triune God of the Bible that can account for this. 
It's only the, the triune God of the Bible that can, can account for, for God's aseity. This is a, a theological term that, that refers to God's self-sufficiency. That God is, is completely and absolutely independent of His creation. He is self-existent. He doesn't need His creation in order to, to be what He is. God's aseity or self-sufficiency means that He can exist alone without anything from anyone, without needing anything from anyone. God does not need anything. As A.W. Tozer said, need is a creature word. The, the triune God did not become loving in creation. He has always existed in that loving state as those those, that intra-trinitarian love that was between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed for all eternity prior to creation. If, for example, only God the Father existed, without the Son or the Spirit, He would have been, and, and, and God needed love from creation, or in order to love His creation, He, he would only be able to express His love when He acted in creation. But because there is a trinity, because there is one God in three persons, God can be eternally loving apart from His creation. And of course this love is beyond anything that we can imagine. But we can see this love lived out gloriously in front of us in the Gospels, in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Now of course there are unique aspects of this love because... Uh, the submission of the Son was the express, for the express purpose of salvation, the salvation of the elect. And it's, it's that there's, there's something that is, uh, but we can see these relationships, that this intrinsic love that is, is lived out, is played out before us as we watch in the Gospels the interactions, especially between the Father and the Son. We see the love of the Son for the Father, and we see the love of the Father for the Son. We also see the Holy Spirit loving the Son, but, but more behind the scenes as, as He, as Jesus declares that the Holy Spirit will bear witness of Jesus, John 15, 23, and will glorify Him, John 16, 10. We see Jesus loving the Lord His God with all of His heart, and all of His soul, and all of His mind, and all of His strength, Mark 12, 30. He is the only one who has ever loved God perfectly, ever. Jesus is the only one to have done that, and He did that always. He does that always. But we also see in the Gospels, we see the Father's love for the Son. Twice, at Jesus' baptism and at the transfiguration, the voice of the Father is heard saying, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Well, Jesus... When Jesus came up out of the water and, and all of those witnesses were around and they all heard the voice of God declaring His love for His Son. Likewise at the Transfiguration when, when Peter and James and John were there, they, they heard the voice of God declaring His love for His Son. Please turn with me in your Bibles to John chapter 17. And, um, here, this this uh, this high priestly prayer of Jesus, just prior to his crucifixion, we 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 hear also the testimony of the love of the Son uh, towards the Father and the love of the Father towards the Son. 
Hebrews 12, verses 1 to 5, when, remember, Jesus is just about to be crucified. Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do, and now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So Jesus is telling the Father that he is going to the cross so that he'll be glorified, so that the world will know the love that he has for his Father. And then jump down to, uh, to verses 24 to 26. Here we see the love of the Father for the Son. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with, with me where I am, that to see my glory that you have given me because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you. And these whom, whom you have sent me, I have made known to them your name, and will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. So here you see the, the love of the Father for the Son. It's before the foundation of the world. Before the world was created, the Father loved the Son. Now this is beyond us. This is something that, that, that again, our, our finite minds can't comprehend. We need the Holy Spirit to, to impress these things onto our hearts. But, but even with that, we're, we're still, we'll not be able to, to really comprehend in, in our fallen state. But, but even, when we, even when we get to, to glory, when we're known even as, as we are, when we know even as we are known, even then, though we have all eternity to, to get to know more, we're still not going to, to ever fully know or, or comprehend this glorious intra-Trinitarian love. Again, again in the Gospels, about 80 times, we, we see Jesus praying, Father. Every time that Jesus prayed in the Gospels, He prayed, Father. The Father answered every prayer. There's only one time that the Son did not address God as Father. Only one prayer, out of all the prayers that Jesus ever prayed, only one time did He not pray Father. We're going to talk a lot, of, a lot more about this in our, in our studies on the Lord's Prayer. But, but really this takes us to our next point. When out of love for the Son, the Father promised to give Him a bride, a people to redeem from their sin. And out of love for the Father, the Son agreed to the Father's perfect plan. So with that, let's look at God's love for the elect. There is a special love that God has for His chosen people. The Bible often refers to them as the elect, those who will be saved. Speaking of the end times, Jesus says in Matthew 24, 22, And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved, but for the sake of the elect those days will be cut short. And in Mark 13, 27, And He will send out the angels and gather His elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. The, are, the elect are those who will be justified. In Romans 8, 33, we, we hear Paul saying, Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. 
It's only the elect who are saved. And in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5, Paul says to the Thessalonian Christians, For we know, brothers, loved by God, that He has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. In other words, those God loves, He chooses for salvation. And Paul said he knew that, that, we had, that God had chosen them because when they heard the gospel, it wasn't as mere words. It also came with power from the Holy Spirit. It came with conviction of sin and came to bring life where once there was only death. So God loves his elect and saves them. God loves his elect and saves them. Now, if you consider, if you understand that, that God is a holy God, your mind should struggle with that fact. In view of God's holiness and His justice, you should really be prompted to ask the question, how can the holy God love people who are corrupt with sin? How can God love anyone other than Himself? does so by sending his son to die for their sins. Your mind strained wondering how a holy God could love sinners. This should make your head spin. God sent his son to die for sinners. We repeat this so often, but may it never become old news to you. May it always be the glorious good news of the gospel. May the Holy Spirit fill your heart and mind with the glories of this truth and so that you may be always filled with awe, with love for God out of His love for you. Please turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. This chapter begins with Paul saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's obviously speaking to Christians here. Christians are the only ones who are justified. Christians are the only ones who have faith. And it comes only by grace. It is Christians who rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Paul explains that the Christians also rejoice in suffering because of its sanctifying work. So if you are here this morning as a Christian, you are one of the we of Romans chapter 5. You're part of that we that, that Paul is talking about. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's how God's love comes to us through the work of Christ and the power of the Holy Spirit. Look down at verse 6. While we were still weak, Christ died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 8. Verse 10. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. This is He's, he's talking about Christians here. We can testify of, of God's love for us while we were weak, while we were still sinners, while we were enemies. 
that we're reconciled to God by Christ. This is God's special love for the elect. I said earlier that there was only one time when Jesus didn't address God as Father in his prayers. It was on the cross when he cried out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In that moment, in the moment of Christ's greatest agony, the Father was turning his back on his Son as the Son bore the wrath for our sins. For our sins. For your sins. For my sins. When Liam was first born, I saw him with his physical afflictions and I thought, if only I could take that on myself. If only I could take the struggle that, that Liam was, was facing and, and bear it myself. And immediately, my thoughts went to Christ. I thought of, of the Father's love for us me that he caused his son to suffer that agony and of love for the elect. We read in Isaiah 53.10, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The Father crushed the Son. The Father put the Son to grief for our sins, for your sins, and for my sins. Isaiah 53, 4-6, Surely He has borne our griefs, He has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But He was pierced for our transgressions, He was crushed for our iniquities, upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to His own way, and the Lord has laid on Him the iniquity of us all. This is God's love for the elect. Listen to Sinclair Ferguson. When we think of Christ dying on the cross, we are shown the lengths to which God's love goes to win his back to himself. We would almost think that God loved us more than he loves his son. We cannot measure such love by any other standard. He is saying to us, I love you this much. The cross is the heart of the gospel, he continues. It, it makes the, good, the gospel good news. Christ died for us. He has stood in our place before God's judgment seat. He has borne our sins. He has done something on the cross that we could never do for ourselves. But God has done something to us as well as for us through the cross. He persuades us that He loves us. Beloved of God, the Father loves you with the very same love that he has for his son. We saw that back in, in John 17. Just stop and think about this for a moment. It, 
earlier I tried to, to communicate that glorious, holy, perfect, eternal love that exists within the, the, the Godhead, within the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. If you are elect, you are God's chosen recipient of that love. God cannot love you any more now than he ever has. He loves you with the same love that he has for the Son, and he loves you from all eternity. And it's not because of anything you will do. It's not because of anything you have done, but because of his electing love. Now, some people get upset about this. They, they, they like to think that they, they don't like the fact that, that God has set his love on them and has chosen them. They want to think that they chose God. Now, I know that this can be difficult to comprehend, and, and I know that it runs counter to what's being taught in a lot of churches these days, but we need to hear what the Bible says about these things. John 1, 12 and 13. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. Now, hear this. We're born not of blood, nor of the will of the, of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Romans 8.29 For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. Ephesians 1.5 and 6 In love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. And Paul repeats there again and again, to the praise of his glorious grace. Verse after verse, passage after passage, declares God's sovereign love, God's saving love for his elect. I found Alistair Begg's illustration on this to be helpful. He asked the question, can you imagine a wife being upset by her husband saying to her, Honey, you didn't know this, but the first time I saw you, I set my affections on you. I knew right away that I wanted to marry you. Now, wouldn't a wife feel really special and really loved if her, if her husband told her that? You better be careful who you say that to. Through the week when I, I was, when I, I, th I think of something or, or hear something that I want to put in my sermon, I'll send myself a little text message on my phone to remind myself of, of something that, uh, of a statement or a quote that, that I can use for a sermon. And when I heard Alistair Begg's illustration a couple weeks ago, I texted the message, saw you and set affections on you. Only I didn't send it to myself. Accidentally, I sent it to a guy who's thinking about joining our church. Now, I don't know what that's going to do in, in his decision-making process. We'll have to watch and, and see what that happens, what happens with that. But, but I don't have those kind of affections for him. <laughs> now, if, if I had, if I had said that accidentally to my wife, that would have been a, it would have been a, been a, a glorious mistake. It would have been true. I mean, I did see my my wife from afar and, and set my affections on her. Uh, now, granted, it was on Facebook. But as, as, a, as a friend showed me some pictures of her, but but that would have been true.
but it's not true. I don't have the same love for this man as, as I do for my wife. Thank God. And that brings us to our final point of, of God's love for the world. Does God love everybody in the same way? Does God love all of those who will not be saved in the same way that he loves those who will be saved? And if he doesn't, is it fair? Just, just think again for, that, for a moment about that text message. You know, men, you, you are called, you are commanded to love your wives. But if you love everybody like you love your wife, they would be right to lock you up. Maybe in a, in a padded room. There's a special love that, that you have for your wife. There's a special love that God has for his, his elect. God does not love everyone in the same way. He has a unique love for himself in the Trinity. And, and we'll, as we saw, we will see that we get to be the beneficiaries of that. But he, he also has a saving love for the elect. For, for those who, who receive that intra-Trinitarian love. But he has still another love for the world. Now when I say God loves the world, most people are, are immediately going to think of what verse? John 3.16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Again, this is probably one of the, the best known but least understood verses in the Bible. In order to understand this verse, you need to understand, again, the context of the passage. Jesus goes on to say in verse 18, Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So good, does God love those who are condemned? Because does God love those who will go to hell? Does God love those who are already in, in conscious torment prior to going to hell? We have to be very careful not to impose our understanding of the word world on the text and not limit it in a way that we don't even limit in our own usage. In order to understand what, what, what John is saying here in, in John 3.16, we, we need to understand how God is, how, how Jesus here is using the word world in this context and also more broadly in the rest of this book. In John 12, 19, after the triumphal entry, when a great crowd gathered around Jesus, the Pharisees lamented, you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. What was happening there is Jews and Gentiles, there was Greeks who were there, and they were following Jesus. So it's saying the whole world, Jew and Gentile, is going after Jesus. In, in John 1, 29, behold the Lamb of God which takes away the sin of the world. Now, did Christ, by his death, take away the sin of all people without exception? Well, if he did, that's universalism. That means that, that everybody goes to heaven. That all people without exception will be saved. In Gethsemane, and then the prayer we already looked at, John, Jesus says in John 17, 9, I'm not praying for the world, but for those you have given me. So if Jesus does not pray for all people without exception, neither did he die for all people without exception. The blood of Christ is sufficient for everybody, but efficient for the elect. The blood of Christ is powerful enough to save everybody, but it actually saves every person who is predestined, 
for salvation. Now again, some people think that that's not fair. They think it's not fair. They think that God should save everybody. But God is not required to save anybody. If we want what is really fair, then everyone should go to hell. Because that is what we all deserve. But out of God's great love, He chooses to save some. So what does it mean that for God so loved the world? We need to look first of all at what that word, that first word for means. Why it's there. It's, it's often ignored, but it's a very important little word. It links verse 16 with what has come before. Jesus is responding to Nicodemus' shock that, that someone needs to be born again in order to be saved. And that the regeneration or the new birth is brought about in the power of the Holy Spirit. And who is Nicodemus? He was, was a Pharisee. He was a Jew. And A.W. Pink explains that, that Nicodemus believed that God's mercies were confined to his own nation. To understand that, that what Nicodemus thought was that only Jews could be saved. But Christ there announced that, that God's love in giving his son had a larger object in view, that it flowed beyond the boundaries of Palestine, out to the regions beyond, including Jews and Gentiles. It means like that people like you and me can be saved. It means that Gentiles as well as Jews can be saved. So God so loved the world that He gave His only Son in, in that, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life does not mean that God loves everybody savingly. But the Scriptures do clearly testify that God does love the world. That God does love the world. And we talked about it last week when we discussed God's patience. We talked about how the elect experience God's grace and God's and, and, and God's mercy, but that the, the 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 rest of the world experiences the, the love of God, the goodness of God, and his patience that he doesn't immediately destroy them and send them to hell. God is patient with unbelievers in the Romans 2, 4, and 5 sense. Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. God's love for the world is seen in His provision. He provides for everyone on this planet, even the wicked. Acts 14, 17. Yet He did not leave Himself without witness, for He did good by giving you rains from heaven and fruitful seasons, satisfying your hearts with food and gladness. Psalm 45, 15 and 16. The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand, you satisfy the desire of every living thing. This is known as, as God's common grace, as He provides for the needs of His creatures. But as bearers of His image, the lives of human beings are of special concern to God, even those who hate Him. Matthew 4, verses, uh, Matthew 4, 45, Jesus tells us to love like God who makes His Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 
It's his son, S-U-N. He doesn't have to share with anyone. The same is true with his son, S-O-N. God provides him for the elect. And the fact that God provides for the needs of all people, even those who, who rebel against him by rejecting Jesus, is an amazing demonstration of God's providential love for the entire world. Given what we've seen of the love of God, that leads us to the question, how should we then love? Now, the men have been studying the book, How Should We Then Live? Well, considering the love of God, how should we then love? The love of God shows us how we are to love others. We're to love others like God does. So we think first of the, the preeminent love that we, we have for God. That's, that's first and foremost in our minds. And that, that every other love that, that we exhibit and, and display in this world is, is under that love. That, that first and foremost love that we have for God himself. Then there's an exclusive love that we have for our spouse. There, there's a, a unique way that, that God calls you men to love your wives. To wash your wife in the water of the word, to, to sacrifice for her, and, and the wife also is to, to love, lovingly submit to her husband. There's also a special love that, that we're to have for our brothers and sisters in Christ. People that, that are in, in, in the reality are actually closer to you than your own relatives, unless your relatives are Christians as well. You're going to spend all of eternity with your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so there's a special type of love that, that we're to share in, in, in the body and, and even with our brothers and sisters in, in other churches and, and around the world. But there's a universal love that we were to have for all people, even our enemies. This is the kind of love that looks for opportunities to, to meet the material needs of those around us. It's the kind of love that, that prays for those who have hurt you and, and actually has compassion on them as, as, as those who are, are sinning against the holy God. It's the kind of love that reaches out with kindness to those we encounter, especially the downtrodden. It's the kind of love that reaches out with the gospel. You need to tell people of their sin. You need to tell people that they need to have a saving relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to tell people that the loving God has provided a way for them to be saved. Because it's true that whoever believes in Him will not perish, but have eternal life. You, you can share that with someone. You can tell, tell somebody, if you believe, you will receive eternal life. And so we love them by sharing the gospel. We, we love them and tell them that God has provided a way, one way, for sinners to approach Him through Jesus Christ. Think back again to the rich young ruler. Jesus loved him, even though the man had turned his back on him. And people might turn their back on you as well when you seek to share the gospel with them. But remember, it's not you, person, that they're rejecting. They're rejecting God. 
Continue to pray for them. Continue to pray that, that they will come to repentance and faith. Continue to look for ways to, to love and to, to serve them. And by doing this, you are loving like God loves. As an ambassador for Christ, God is making his appeal through you. Tell them, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to, who knew no sin to be sin, so that in him we could become the righteousness of God. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 and 21. Let's pray together.